All right, looks like we're recording. So here we are. This is part two of our discussion. This is Abnormal Psychology, Psych 213. This is part two of our discussion. We were talking about, um, if I can remember, 27 is where we left off. Um, we're talking about uh, eating, sleep, and elimination disorders. That's what our topic is today. Um, we got halfway through, we got all the way through eating disorders. We got partway through sleep disorders. And that's kind of where we left off. And what we're going to do is wrap this up and then elimination disorders. Sound good? So here's the sign-in sheet. I'll go ahead and pass that around. So where we left off was non-rapid eye movement sleep arousal disorder. One of the things to keep in mind is that during non-REM sleep, our bodies don't tend to be paralyzed. So we have the ability to move around. But we're in deep sleep, so we probably shouldn't move around. This, and most times we don't. Most times we just lay in our bed and we sleep and we're fine. During REM, where we have a lot of active dreaming, um, our bodies tend to be paralyzed so that we don't act out our dreams. So these, in the DSM-5 category, um, for non-rapid eye movement sleep arousal disorders, it's a combination of two separate disorders that were present in DSM-4, and that's nightmare disorder and sleep terror disorder. Now the difference used to be that nightmares were only thought to happen during REM sleep and night terrors happened during deep, 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 deep sleep, like stage four sleep. Kids usually suffer from night terrors. Um, Non-rapid eye movement sleep arousal disorders involve incomplete awaking from sleep accompanied by sleep walking or sleep terrors. So that's what we're talking about here. All right. So, sleepwalking involves repeated episodes of complex motor movements and activities, um, such as rising from bed, walking about, um, which begins slow, during slow-wave non-REM sleep. So during deep, deep sleep. That's when it normally happens. So that's one of the reasons why we say don't wake up a sleepwalker. Because they're during deep, deep sleep. The slowest REMs are in stage four sleep. And so if they're having these really slow wave patterns in stage four sleep and you go and wake them up, they will be completely disoriented. They won't know where they're at. Oftentimes they will strike out. They'll be irritable. They'll be upset. Because again, the last thing they knew, they laid down in bed and went to sleep. Now all of a sudden they're standing somewhere. And so um, it's much better to kind of redirect them back to their bedroom and, and not wake them up. Um, episodes may last a few minutes, up to one half hour. They usually terminate in a return to full sleep, sometimes in a new or unfamiliar location. So imagine if you got up, if you had this disorder, you went to bed, but you woke up in the dog box. What happened was during the night, you woke up, you walked over the dog box, you climbed in the dog box, and you went back to sleep. But you were never aware of doing any of it because it happened during deep, deep sleep. If awakened, which is difficult, and it oftentimes is very difficult, you might be like, well, I don't want to touch a sleepwalker because I, I don't want to wake them up. No, 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 they're during deep sleep. Um, they're difficult to wake up. It's kind of like someone who falls asleep on the couch and you go and shake them, and it's not one, it's like two, like four, five, you're almost like jumping on, hey, wake up, and then where are they wake up and they're really disoriented and they've got that look in their eyes and they're like, what are you, what are you doing? Where, where, who are you? And, and then, of course, in a few minutes, they figure out what, what the hell's going on, but they're in such a deep, deep sleep 
that they're, when they wake up, they're so disoriented. So that's one of the things we see. Notice it says, if the sleepwalker is typically confused, if awakened, typically confused for several minutes, does not report dreaming or awareness of the event. They have no memory of it because, again, it's during non-REM sleep. The brain is less active during that time period. These behaviors um, have been reported of being complex. Um, oh, these are, uh, sorry. Um, no, no, I'm right. These, uh, there have been reports of complex sexual or violent behaviors um, during these sleepwalking episodes, um, including homicide and rape occurring during episodes of sleepwalking. But I'm going to tell you that that is incredibly rare. And, and although the book says there's been reports and, and maybe substantiated reports, I really question that. Because, I mean, yeah, they might do some activities, but complex, super complex activities, maybe not. Now, I share this. There was one student in one of my classes once who told me that she knew that she sleepwalked and sleep ate during the night. And I kind of, kind of, we all kind of laughed in class when she made the announcement. She goes, no, 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 really. She says, I'll wake up. I live by myself. I'll wake up. And sometimes when I come downstairs in the morning, there's a half-eaten tuna fish sandwich in the cat bowl. And I know the cat didn't make it. So the only way that could have happened is if she could have gotten up during the night, made herself a tuna fish sandwich, apparently one for the cat, and then went back to bed. You know, but I did have an inmate once who said that the reason why he murdered his girlfriend who lived in a, across town was that he was sleepwalking. He got behind the wheel, he drove all the way to her place, murdered her, and then drove all the way home and woke up with a pool of blood around him. I, I'm sorry, I'm not believing that. It's a little too complex. You, don't, you see what I'm saying? So while there might be some substantiated reports, eh. notice it says sleep-related violence might be greatly underreported with as much as 2% of the population enacting in, in, in some form of violence during sleep. Now, when we talk about violence during sleep, could it be that while you're sleeping you swing your arm over and you, you hit your partner? Right? With such force that you could cause harm. I'm not going to say that that's not possible. But... In most cases, I mean, I, I'd, be, I'd be highly, you know, I'd be suspicious of anyone who's using this as a defense for a violent act on another person. I'm just, I'm just saying. That's just my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm okay with being wrong on this one, but I'm just saying. Yes? Well, and again, that, that's where the, the wild card comes into play. If you've got suffering, someone suffering from PTSD, maybe um, someone who witnessed some traumatic events, maybe a result of terrorism, maybe they're a soldier who's returned, right, and they're sleeping, and during their sleep they act out. Okay, maybe then I'll, I'll go with maybe a little bit more violent. Again, there's someone who's trained to harm people. Right? And during sleep, could they harm someone? Yeah, I'll, I'll go with that, right? Plus, during PTSD, am I really aware of what's going on? Am I dreaming? Am I suffering? But again, I'd say that that's co-occurring illnesses there. Does that make sense? Those comorbid um, disorders, you've got this non-rapid uh, eye movement sleep arousal disorder on top of PTSD. So it's not just PT, or it's not just this disorder by itself. 
So, I mean, in that case, you know, maybe I might lean a little bit more and say, okay, but I still don't know that I'd buy that someone drives across town. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people have been caught behind the wheel trying to drive. I mean, that's not, that's, it's true, but, I, but remember I just said they were caught because they're not going to be driving very well, right? Um, so it's one of the things to think about. Sleep-related eating may also occur during sleepwalking uh, episodes, especially among females with varying degree of amnesia. In other words, not fully remembering what's going on. And if you're during deep, deep sleep, that makes sense. You wouldn't remember it. Um, in sleep terrors, so, and I'm going to tell you that you saw on that first slide that it's kind of a combination of nightmares and sleep terrors. I'm not sure if it's really, I think that's a misnomer. I think really the two categories that have been combined here in this category in DSM-5 are sleep walking and sleep terrors. Because nightmare disorders really happen during non-REM sleep, so, or during REM sleep. That's one of the reasons why we call them nightmares. We remember much of the details. They're very vivid. That's what makes them different than night terrors. So, mm, I don't know. I'm going to maybe challenge the book here a little bit on this one, right? And say that this is really this category of non-REM, um, uh, uh, non-REM yeah, sleep arousal disorders really has more to do with sleep walking and sleep terrors. Because those are the two things that tend to happen during non-REM sleep. So, back to here. In sleep terrors, individuals awake from sleep abruptly, usually with a cry or panicky scream. Um, and they are generally unresponsive to efforts to awake them. It's almost like they're living the, out the dream, whatever's happening in their head, and they're acting out. Maybe they're being chased in their dream, and then they're screaming it, but they don't have a lot of memory about what the dream is, so it's really difficult to kind of you know, figure that out. Notice if they are fully awakened, they do not recall dreaming apart from fragmented images and a sense of terror. So what we believe is it's a nightmare that's happening during deep, deep sleep, and they don't have enough awareness to be able to remember all of it or even bits and pieces of it. Um, episodes reoccur after several days or weeks and are more uh, likely made by fatigue, stress, alcohol, or sedative use. Again, that would put us more in a deeper, deeper sleep and also provide more material, if you will, for stress, for dreaming. Um, nightmare disorder, again, this is a separate disorder, so I think that that first slide that you saw is, is a little off. I'm going to take a look at it and go a little deeper. Um, those with nightmare disorder repeatedly experience frightening dreams that result in awakening. Um, most often the nightmares involve threats to a person's safety or security, one's self-esteem, and they tend to be very intense. One of the things that we always say you know, to parents is don't let your kids watch some you know, scary movie before they go to bed because they could incorporate that material into their dream cycle and then end up with nightmares. Um, notice it says here, the sleep disruption they produce could cause significant distress and impairment in individuals. And notice, here's why I'm saying that I think that first slide was wrong. The dreams and nightmare disorder usually last longer than 10 minutes and happen during REM sleep. So I think that first slide, just to make a correction, is not nightmare disorder and sleep terrors combined, but rather sleep walking and sleep terrors combined, because both happen during non-REM sleep. 
Rapid eye movement sleep behavior disorder. This would be when someone's in REM sleep, right? But here's what's happening during REM sleep, right? During rapid eye movement, during REM sleep, what's, what's occurring is that they're not paralyzed like a normal individual. So then they do act out these dreams. This disorder involves complex motor activity, occurs during REM sleep, is associated with vivid dreaming. Normally skeletal muscles are paralyzed during REM sleep, but with those with this disorder, with REM um, uh, behavior disorder, those individuals aren't paralyzed. And so what happens is that paralysis is absent, allowing people to essentially act out their dreams. So, again, in vivid dreams, that's one of the things that we see. The last one that we see here for sleep disorders, well, last two we see here for sleep disorders, are restless leg syndrome. Restless leg syndrome was a provisional disorder in DSM-IV. In other words, we tested it out to see if it was going to stick around or not. And um, we now call it a parasomnia. Remember that parasomnia stands for problems with sleep. Dysomnia stand more for disorders of sleep. Now they're all disorders, but some have more with problems with sleep and some have more with dis disordered patterns, if you will. So now this is an official diagnosis in DSM-5. It involves frequent urges to move the legs, especially when resting, in order to relieve unpleasant sensations like itching, burning, or tingling. Yes? Does using the weighted blanket help with that any? Because you're weighing your legs down so they're not moving as much? Or well, it it's not really the movement alone. It's the twitching. It's the itchy. It's like you're, something's bothering you, and so you move your legs to try to, you know, I, I don't know, correct it. Um, for me, one of the things they found during my sleep study was that I have restless leg syndrome, but part of what they believe the reason for that is because they stop breathing. So my legs moving is a way for my body to say, hey, something's wrong here, pay attention. So I don't know if weighted, weighted you know, blankets are going to help so much. You're still going to get the tingling, the itchy, the burning sensation. You're still going to want to move them. And again, this is an uncontrollable kind of thing. Right? So that's one of the things that we see. Um, the urges are worse in the evening and night, are partly or totally relieved by movement. Almost, a tw you know, it's like that twitch. You just feel like you've got to get that energy out, and you do it, and now you're good. Symptoms must occur three times a week for three months to qualify for the disorder. So again, this is a long-term pattern. This isn't just an occasional thing. This is something that is more chronic and long-term. Yeah. It's usually that's what it, what it is, some kind of tingling, some kind of urge you feel to move it. People will sometimes describe it as a tingling or a burning. Um, that's the most common. Are there other kinds of complaints? I'm sure there are, but those are the most common. The final sleep disorder we'll talk about is substance or medication-induced sleep disorder. This would be, again, some kind of sleep pattern that is altered because of some substance that you're taking, some intoxication that you're under, or some kind of withdrawal symptom that you're having. Um, older individuals who take multiple medications may actually be at greater risk. So don't always think that this has to do with illicit drugs. 
or illegal drugs. This could do with prescribed medication and the medications all combined to cause sleep disorders. But maybe they're medications that you need for other problems and so, you know, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. It's a catch-22. You need the meds for other reasons. These are the best meds for, for the conditions you have. But here's the end result. You have this other issue that's now created by those medications. Women seem to be more susceptible to substance medication-induced sleep problems than men, uh, given the same amount and duration of consumption of medication. So again, if we take a look at it, women tend to be affected more. One might argue that part of that reason is because women tend to be smaller in stature. As a result, they tend to not have the same um, ability to, to, to kind of process that. For example, I'm a large man, you know, you're, you're much smaller than I am. If we were going to drink alcohol, I can drink way more than you probably and, and be able to handle it better. It's going to hit you much quicker because you're, you're smaller, right? And that's not a dig or, you know, anything bad. It's just how it is. Medication, smaller amounts of medication are going to affect you differently than smaller amounts of medication for me. Now, some of that, there's some wild cards in there. Is my liver functioning correctly? You know, am I, so again, we have to pay attention to the wild cards. But in general, these are, you know, some, some, what we find. The last category here, and then we're going to move on to our next topic, is elimination disorders. Now, there are only two elimination disorders, which makes it kind of easy. We had a lot of eating disorders. We had a lot of sleep disorders. Only two elimination disorders. And um, they're encapresis and enuresis. Um, both must be distinguished from developmentally appropriate deficiencies in toilet abilities in young children. In other words, if your child hasn't learned adequate bowel control, then we can't say that, that they, they're suffering from enuresis or encapresis if developmentally they're where they're supposed to be. You know, you have a one-year-old, they haven't gone through potty training yet. Well, they don't have encapresis and uresis. It's just normal part of normal development. This would be someone who, by now, should have mastered that. Developmentally, they're above the age when they should have learned that, and now they're still struggling with it. So that's what we see. So these are not diagnosed until after the normal period for attaining continence. In other words, being able to hold it um, for long enough periods of time to be able to go to the bathroom in a normal way. You know, so that's, again, it has to do with developmental age. So we have to kind of think about that. And caprices is the repeated passage um, of feces by a person over the age of four in inappropriate places. Events which are usually not always involuntary must occur at least once a month for three months. And they're not due to general medical condition, you know, other than maybe constipation and its, and its mechanisms, or the use of laxatives. Again, if the person's going to the bathroom in inappropriate places and they're abusing laxatives, well, the laxatives are part of the reason why they can't hold it. Bless you. They come in twos. Bless you again. Right? Kind of like deer. Just saying. So, again, you know, if someone's abusing some laxative, something that's going to make them, you know, go to the bathroom, well, then we can't say that's what it is. This is someone who's not doing that, and they don't have some, you know, it says here constipation and its mechanism. Well, if you don't go to the bathroom, and you don't go to the bathroom, and you don't go to the bathroom, and you hold it, and you hold it, and you hold it, eventually you're not going to be able to control it when it finally does come. 
So that's a bowel movement issue. In other words, that's a bowel management issue. Getting a person to go to the bathroom more frequently keeps them from getting as constipated, keeps them from you know, having these uncontrollable urges to go to the bathroom. So that's one of the things to see. Um, usually the pattern of incapricis consists of constipation followed by impaction, followed by further retention, and then overflow incontinence. It's usually the pattern. So hopefully my cousin or my, my niece will never listen to any of these recordings. But I had a younger, I had a niece, my sister's uh, one daughter, who's a really smart kid, but she is a stubborn kid. And so my sister always had trouble with her, you know, potty training her from early on. Well, when she was in elementary school, she wouldn't go for days on end. Wouldn't go to the bathroom, and then of course she would end up having an accident at school and, and being embarrassed by it. And so one of the things they had to do was they did a bowel management kind of retraining so that she went more frequently. And then what that did was that alleviated the constipation and the impaction and everything else that went with it. And she was able to behaviorally work her way out of that, that, that issue. But again, that, that sometimes happens. And, and it's because of various reasons. So I just kind of share that with you. This is kind of the general pattern that we see. What's that? Is it common? Um, it's not, I wouldn't say it's super common. I'd say that, again, remember, we're talking over the age of four. So I'd say that's more rare over the age of four. Prior to age four, you know, could you see that happening? Sure, you can see that happening. Because, again, there's inconsistencies, but they don't really meet the diagnosis. It's still a more childhood thing. Usually people, again, find other ways to kind of cope or, or do other things. Now, I do know some folks um, that are adults um, that sometimes have reported struggling with this. But when you look at their histories, maybe they abused laxatives when they were in their adolescence. They had eating disorders in their adolescence. And so now they're having trouble on a regular bowel movement as an adult because of, again, their patterns when they were younger. So I would say usually if we see this in an older person, there's other issues going on too. Or there have been in the past, I should say. Um, and uresis is repeated voiding of urine into the bed or clothes during the day or night in children, notice, age five or older. Um, the condition is not due to a general medical condition, must occur at least twice a week for three months. And again, the diagnosis can be subtyped as nocturnal, uh, diurnal, or both. So again, during the day, during the night, or both during the day and the night. Yes? Now, my brother was born prematurely. Okay. Um, and he was born addicted to crack. Okay. So he is also 14. And also, what's the bet? And has been doing this for years. Okay. Like it's been a consistent issue. Right. And they've tried multiple, um, I want to say devices, like right. the bells, but he's just such right. a deep sleeper. The bell and pad. Yeah. Right. So and he's 14 and still wears pull-ups. Right. So, like, and my daughter has, she's gone through this too. Like, she's uh, eight. Okay. And she also wets the bed at night. And okay. I spoke to the doctor, and he said that sometimes they retreat back to um, peeing the bed. 
but now she's eight. So it's 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 it's, it's difficult, but right. like you don't really realize what's going on. But right. Anyway, back to my brother. Is could this possibly be like because of the prematurity? And again, I would I would say that because it's such a long term problem, and they've tried multiple attempts to deal with it, and there's multiple issues from prenatal development. Again, born premature. You know, an addiction to a substance, being born with an addiction to a substance. Those factors, I think, definitely come into play on this. And, and again, that's where, would we call it enuresis? If there's a general medical condition that's triggering it, no. Yes? So it's like there's like no reason for it. Like, like, like there's no like sexual assault, there's no prematurity, like there's nothing. Like, then that's what... It could be, but one of the things that you said is you kind of said when you talked to your doctor about your daughter was she kind of, you know, she, sometimes people will regress back. You know, think about Freud. Freud said under stress, when we get really stressed out or we can't cope with something, one of our defense mechanisms is regression. It's to go back to a previous developmental um, level. Could this be caused by stress? Could this be the result of some trauma that's happened to the person and they can't cope with it and so their way is peeing the bed to call attention to themselves? Sure. So again, there's multiple causes that could be here. You know, don't just think that it, it could, it's related to only some kind of medical condition because it shouldn't be or maybe only, you know, it's, it's definitely not choice but there's usually some kind of stressor or something going on. Yes? So if they're doing this on purpose, like a child is intentionally urinating at an inappropriate time just because they either don't want to go to the bathroom or they want to be spiteful or whatever, is right. that still, is that if we, or is it something else? That's a good question. They probably would get the diagnosis for this, but then again, once they find the cause, if it is a purposeful, voluntary act that they're doing, asking for attention indirectly, then probably this diagnosis would be removed and they would look at something else. But would it still be identifiable problem? Sure. I mean, when the child's first brought to a therapist or, you know, to someone, they, the diagnosis would be enuresis because they're having inappropriate urination. So, yes? They're doing this, like, subconsciously. Like, they don't realize that right. they're doing it. Right, right. In the case that um, Quintina was saying, in that case... That's more voluntary, again, there's some control indicated there, right? That they're choosing indirectly some way to do it. When we're talking about someone that doesn't have choice, then yeah, it's involuntary. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry, I don't know where the cough's coming from. Now, the last slide you see here is a bunch of videos, video links that you can go to. So we've got a video link on anorexia. We talked about that in the last recording. About bulimia, we've talked about that in the last recording. Insomnia, some causes, symptoms, diagnosis. So if you want to know a little bit more about some of these, here are some of the links that you can take a look at. Um, narcolepsy. Um, for those people at home, if you search for some of these topics, I'm sure on YouTube you can find videos related to all these. So again, I'll just run through the list. Anorexia, bulimia, um, insomnia, narcolepsy, and then elimination disorders. So again, um, you can learn a little bit more if you're curious and maybe you might want to look at the one for elimination disorders because it might be helpful. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, again, because the one with elimination disorders, um, this doctor, Dr. William Winter, uh, child and adolescent psychiatry is going to talk about that, and that might give you a little bit more insight. 
So, thank you for listening. We'll stop the recording now. And again, I appreciate you for listening. Thank you.